And please turn in your Bibles to the last two verses of the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians and to us. Verse 23 and verse 24 of chapter 6. I have an outline there for you with those verses printed. This is sermon number 40 for Ephesians. But Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 232 sermons through Ephesians. 232, that's not a misspeak. That is for real. But John Calvin took 48 sermons, so I'm getting closer there. And I don't have nearly as much to say as either of these two. 48 sermons, and Calvin's sermons are a blessing to read through in preparation. I use those a bit. We have come to the last two verses. It's always a little bittersweet for me to come to the end of an epistle like this. I'm sure the Lord will have me preach out of Ephesians again, but to go through a book with with this beloved family, uh, what are the opportunities? There's too many more books that I still have to cover before I die. And so uh, whenever that may be, I don't even know how long I've got, so I doubt I'll get back to going through Ephesians. So it's always a challenge for me to come up with the, come to this last sermon. It's uh, It's this relationship I've had with this book and with you over this uh, journey we've been going through. This is the farewell benediction, the blessed prayer of Paul to the church, uh, concerning the church, to God for the church. It's a beautiful um, revelation of what the pastor of Ephesus wants for the people of God based on all that has been shared about God's great grace to us in Christ. It comes down to these, these two simple verses, these farewell uh, glad benedictions, as many Bible scholars have called it. So here now, as I read these words, this is the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, uh, and so it is profitable for us in all ways. So here, as I read these two verses, verse 23 and verse 24, Ephesians 6, Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we have been encouraged spiritually by your word in the study of this book, Ephesians. Oh, the depth of your riches and wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable your ways. As we finish this study, I pray the words of this concluding benediction would be realized in the Redeemer congregation. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I began uh, this series over a year ago now, some 14 months ago, and asked you the question if you had ever visited the Grand Canyon. Many of you probably have. I know for me, it was one of the most awe-inspiring pictures of God's creation that I can remember seeing. Um, some 20 years ago, I helped to lead a mission team from Redeemer to a, to a church in Tucson, and we took a couple vans to get there. En route to Tucson, we made a stop at the Grand Canyon, and those of us who had seen the canyon, we blindfolded our very trusting brothers and sisters in Christ who had not seen it and walked them to the edge of the canyon. Uh, the expressions on their faces, I'll never forget, when we took the blindfolds off so they could for the first time behold just the, the enormity of the, the scene and the beauty of it. And it was just the right time of day with the way the sun shined on the rocks, the coloring of it, and just how vast it is and how big it is, how impressive it is. It, you cannot help but think of the creator when you see this creation. 
And it was a beautiful, awe-inspiring moment, and I got to live it my, the first time I saw it, and then watch other people as they describe what they were seeing. I use this to begin our studies of Ephesians because one commentator said something that stuck with me. The book of Ephesians is the Grand Canyon of Scripture. It is breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. John Stott said about Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians is a marvelously concise yet comprehensive summary of the Christian good news and its implications. Nobody can read it without being moved to wonder and worship and challenged to consistency of life. It's true, where we lack a picture of God in his sovereign hand, his gracious, loving, sovereign hand, where we might lack understanding about this, Ephesians provides clarity. Where we might be deficient in our understanding of what divine grace is, not human grace, divine grace, where we're deficient in this understanding, Ephesians sheds a glorious light on God's gracious salvation. Where we might lack confidence about our own salvation, Ephesians gives us great assurance, being sure to take all of our trust, all of our hope away from us and onto Christ, who is wholly trustworthy and has accomplished his work on our behalf. Ephesians gives us great assurance. When it comes to God's glory, when it comes to God's grace, when it comes to our salvation, our security, when it comes to the church and his vision for the church, God's plan for the church, how to relate with one another in the church, how to view marriage and how to relate in the marriage relationship, the way to stand fast against the devil. Ephesians has addressed it all. The great theme of Ephesians is the eternal purpose of God to sum up all things in Jesus Christ. Kent Hughes said, Ephesians, carefully, reverently, prayerfully considered, will change our lives. It's not so much a question of what we will do with the epistle, but what it will do with us. Ephesians is a grand depiction of the amazing, transforming grace of God at work in his church, at work in you, at work in each of us, and then by extension at work in this world. Now we come to the end. It's almost too hard for me to say. These last two verses, the apostles parting prayerful wishes. It's a prayerful wish of benediction, good words spoken, a blessing. But these words are inspired by the Spirit of God. We know that this is the will of God for his church. Paul prays for things that only God can give us. He's not praying that the Ephesians do their part now that God did his. I mean, that would completely defeat everything that had been said for six plus chapters. Now he's praying for God to realize all the truths in Ephesians, live them out through the lives in the experience of the people of God. Paul prays for things only God can grant us. He prays for peace, that we would actually experience peace, the peace of God. That we would have love for one another and practice love towards one another. And we would do so with the faith that he gives us, the trust we have in God's promises that the Spirit makes us know are true. And also that we would have grace, that we would have God's grace, know God's grace, and live out God's grace. Peace be to the brothers, Paul concludes this letter, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
a good word of blessing. That's what we have. Glad benedictions to close out this book. Paul's final word of blessing brings this inspired letter of Ephesians to a prayerful and very practical conclusion. It starts by going back to the beginning with some of the words that we've heard before in Ephesians. The book ends the way it began, but here's the difference. Now we've had this whole book to realize these terms a little more. What does grace mean? What does peace mean? Now we really know what that means based on what Paul teaches us through the Holy Spirit's leading in the middle of it. So the slice of bread in the top is the introduction, grace to you and peace. That's how he begins, to the saints who are at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the top slice of the bread. Then the meat that goes in that sandwich is all of the work of God's grace through Christ applied to us so that we might manifest his temple on earth, the living temple, you living stones saved by God's grace, your new creations. We're a new society now living according to our Savior. And he equips us to stand fast with Christ's armor. That's the meat of the sandwich. And now we come to the end, the conclusion. Ephesians, about God's gracious salvation to us in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus in verse 2 of the of the book. And now in the last two verses, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. These last two verses, they take us back to the beginning. Now that we've got a view of the whole book, what are these glad benedictions, these wishes of the apostle for the people of God? What's the apostolic desire for the church that's timeless? We see many of these same uh, prayers in his other epistles. Four wishes, four requests, a prayer for peace, a prayer for love, a prayer for faith, and a prayer for grace. All of these have been addressed thoroughly by Paul in the book. First, Paul prays for peace. He says, peace to you, peace be to the brothers, to the brethren, to the body of Christ. Peace be to you. You know, one of the main thrusts in Ephesians is that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Everybody on this globe searching for peace, for rest, for contentment, uh, uh, an escape from hostility. What can ever be realized, however, is any real peace unless the first order of peace is established. And that is peace with our God. Every human being is either at war with God or at peace with God. There's no neutral. There's no DMZ between. You're at war or you're at peace. And only those who are united to Christ can know what peace with God actually is like. All those other kinds of peace, peace with one another, peace in our minds and our hearts, a sense of uh, contentment or stability, those things can never be fully realized unless the first relationship with God is rectified. We have peace with God because of the blood of Jesus. Peace be to the brothers. This is something only the brothers and the sisters in Christ understand. In Ephesians chapter 2, we learn, For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We're at war with God, we're at peace with God. There is a dividing wall between us apart from Christ. It says in Ephesians 2.15, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in a place of the two. So making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the first level of peace is with us and God through Christ. Now there's this removal of conflict and tension with God, our creator. And God, our creator, goes from the one who rightly holds over us our unrighteousness and our offenses against him. That God, because Jesus takes away that sin and that offense, he now is our father. We now have peace. And not just peace, we have familial relations with our father, God the father. We are content in his presence. We are able to be with him without worry of hostility because it's been taken away in Christ. Peace be to the brothers is something only the brethren can understand because it starts first with that most important relationship. In Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be assured that we are at peace with God now. And peace with God leads to more peace. The kind of peace that most people think they're looking for, peace with each other, um, they don't realize often, they don't realize, we wouldn't either, had we not been granted this great gift, it's got to start with God. But once it does start with God, and you're right with God because of Christ, the immediate reaction or reflex is to look out at other people and seek peace with them, live out that peace with one another, to share unity with one another that we could not do apart from that first relationship being solved. And then it also provides something else, a sense of peace about the future, about our anxieties. And I don't mean to say you never get nervous about anything or we don't struggle with those anxieties, but we'll find our peace back where we got the initial peace. Jesus, before he went to the cross, spent quite a bit of time with his disciples privately He's in the upper room talking with them, trying to prepare them, but they couldn't fully wrap their minds around what was about to happen. So he said to them, and it's recorded in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus grants a peace that we have with one another and we can have about circumstances that only he can give. So peace isn't just the absence of conflict with others. It's also the eradicating of this sense of worry and anxiety that comes with not knowing who is lovingly in control of things. The scripture uses the word shalom in the Old Testament for peace, a major distinctive of our walk in Christ, our knowing Christ is peace. It was in the Old Testament that God gave Aaron, the priest, certain words to speak to Israel. Remember, Israel saved the same way we are. They looked ahead to the finished work of the Messiah that would come. We look back upon its finished work, his finished work. Aaron was told to speak these words to the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There's many other usages of this word in even Ephesians. Peace be with you. That's something we say to each other every week. We pass the peace. And that means to say we receive peace from God because of Christ. Now we pass that to one another. That's supposed to be symbolic of our lives together, that we're pursuing this relationship of peace with one another that's been granted to us through Christ. When Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, you remember how this works itself out. 
I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does a worthy call look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. This is what it means, peace be to the brothers. It's, it's dimensional. It's multidimensional. It starts with relationship with God. It extends to our relationship with one another. And it also is something that speaks to our heart and our soul about the life we're living and what's coming. Peace be to the brothers. Now, you'll notice something. It's the second part of the prayer or this benediction that Paul prays. He prays for love, for us to have love, to experience love, to live it out. Now, it connects directly with peace. Peace is recognizing this state and having a sense about of contentment, if you will, about it. But now it goes another level. He's praying that we would love one another with, and, and practice a love with faith, as it says. Love and faith, you can take those separately, but I'm going to take it the way it spells it out in the passage itself. Look what it says. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God gives us peace with each other, but even more than that, it gives us a basis to practice love towards one another. And I said practice love, not just feel love. It's not the word used for the emotional sense you get of love. This is a committed love that works itself out in deeds that we practiced towards one another. Love with faith. The phraseology is important, saying with faith. The request for love with faith tells us who will give it. Look at, it, the, look at the passage. In love with faith, where do we get this? from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can imagine, there's no way the apostle is going to go back on six chapters of the sovereign grace of God, only to say in the last verse, okay, you've heard all these great things that God's done for you. Now, come on, try harder, everybody. You've got to go out there and love each other. Go do it. He's describing that you can do this as a, as a natural outflow of your redemption in Christ. And what that means uh, for you and God, and now the peace with one another. And so you can practice love towards one another. What kind of love? Well, it's a love that's anchored in faith, faith in the finished work of Christ and the ongoing promises of God that he'll never forsake us in these. It's also something that's not coming from you. You're still not conjuring it up. You're still not mustering it. It's going to be a love that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for God to gift us his church with these things that cannot be manufactured by man. The peace that only God can give, the love that only God can give, and the faith that only God can grant. Calvin, when he was preaching on this passage, he was very blunt about the pitfall that people have. The pitfall is this. Pastorally speaking, we, we celebrate the grace of God in Christ. We're anchored in the fact that we're saved by his work and his work alone. But we almost immediately, without saying, go out there trying to prove ourselves sometimes. Or we're going to now do our part to, to show that we really understand. I appreciate the sentiment, but often it's a really misguided idea about what our abilities are like. Calvin said it this way, Therefore, in this passage, he shows that all the prosperity of believers comes from God's pure goodness alone. By prosperity, he means success and obedience. All of this comes from God's pure goodness alone. To this, he well adds also faith and love. In this way, we see that God reserved to himself the office not only of sending us the outward goods which we need, but also and especially the spiritual gifts of which we are utterly void and destitute. 
You know, one of the great deterrents of our spiritual growth is the idea that we can muster things like love and faith on our own, that we could work them up, we could discipline them in. We're stubborn in our steadfastness about our abilities. And there again, Calvin has something to say that I think is helpful. Nevertheless, we are bound to be punished for our presumption if we think that we have either faith or love of ourselves. So then, let us conclude that both of them, faith and love, are the special gifts of God. And let us confess that both of them come from him. And that on the other hand, he has to prick us until he enlightens us for your blind wretches walking in darkness without him. He says further, although we have the word preached to us, chewed over for us, so to speak, so that there remains no more for us but just to swallow it down, yet we shall remain stupid like blocks of wood if God does not enlighten us by the Holy Spirit and bow our hearts to his obedience. It's like we're coming to the end of Ephesians. In this last two verses, our Lord, please make these things realized in our life. You have to do it. By your spirit, we see what you're saying, but we need your spirit still to live it out to have this sense of peace that's been purchased for us by God through Christ. And also, that we might actually love one another. That we could express love towards one another. Because we still can't do it on our own. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Love here is, love, the word in Ephesians is used 14 times, but only 7 times is it agape, and that's what's in this passage. We're talking about a a mutual esteem and love that we have towards one another that permeates the body of Christ and has action attached to it, things we do towards and for one another. When the Apostle John wrote his first epistle, he said this, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So the love we're talking about here is something directly related to the activity of God towards you. It's a divine love. It's not merely human love. Further, John wrote, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. So John's talking about the same thing. And Paul's praying for it, that we would do this. It has to be from God that we would love one another. It's not just an affection. It's not just an emotion. This has to do with our actions towards one another. As Christ sacrificially loved us, we are to love other believers. What we say to each other, what we do for each other. In Ephesians 5, the first few verses, therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children. You've been shown love by God, your Father. And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So what is this love that Paul's praying for us? That we would give ourselves up for each other. That we would count others as more important than ourselves, as we have read elsewhere. That's the love Paul's praying to be shown among the people of God. That God would give this love. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. What does that look like? What does it mean to love your wives? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's specific to the husband, but it's told to the church. What does love look like? Giving ourselves up, our rights for others. You know this cannot be something you conjure. There's nothing about me that wants to to make you first. I want to be first. But because of God... Borning us again, 
we have a new affection and we have a new outlook that is from him. And when you really look upon other people uh, and you think you, you want their best and what you would sacrifice for them, that is not from you. That's something God's working in you. That's an answer to this prayer that love would be realized. Love with faith. And the faith is connected to God's promises and what he's revealed. Why can this love that Paul speak of be realized by Christians? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. With faith. Love and faith, two qualities that are so closely connected in Scripture when we're talking about divine love. Because of a common faith in Christ, we can love one another. So we love others as a means of loving Christ. Galatians 5, verse 6, the first epistle Paul wrote most likely, early in his ministry, Ephesians being one of the the last. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The great evidence of my salvation, of your salvation, our salvation, brothers and sisters, is our love for one another, especially starting here in the household of faith. You know, the Ephesians were doing a good job. When Paul wrote to them from prison, he, just, he got good reports from them for, about them. We know this because in the opening verses of Ephesians, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he starts the book by saying, I know that you are loving one another and you, your faith is strong, and that's giving me great encouragement. But you notice Paul doesn't, Say, you got that figured out, so let's go on to some other stuff. It's obvious that this will always be a challenge for us, living in the world, to be the people of God and to practice these divine truths in our midst. We have to continue to reply upon God to renew our hearts and our minds about these things. Faith appears seven times in Ephesians. It's always in association with God's promises, and usually, most particularly, God's promise about redemption in Christ means trust. That's what's meant by faith. It means resting in some truth. It means resting in Christ, to be exact. Trust in something or belief in something, and the something is Jesus and his finished work. God's promises. Daily faith in God and his promises. This is what is meant by love with faith. This is describing something, once again, that's uniquely Christian. Christians can experience this kind of love in a way that other organizations cannot Finally, I want you to notice the passage concluding in verse 24 with words that are just the way he started the book. One of his favorite terms to use, grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ? We just read Ephesians. We know who loves Jesus Christ. Those who God has interceded for, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive together with Christ. These are the people who love the Lord Jesus. And that love is given to them by God. Therefore, it is incorruptible. This means that it is a persevering love. This isn't, a again, a last verse saying, okay, by the way, you need to have an undying love for Jesus or you're in trouble. It's just a description of the love that you've been given. The love you've been given is a divine love for Christ and for each other. And it is therefore incorruptible. This is based on the foundation that we have been seeing laid out by the apostle. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the very first words uttered in the epistle were grace to you, and then the concept, the number one concept that's unpacked in the book of Ephesians is this concept of God's grace towards us in Christ. And I don't mean grace like a human grace where we might show mercy or be gracious towards one another as fellow sinners. This is something different altogether. This is divine grace. This is where God shows us his favor, but it's an unmerited favor. We didn't do anything that we could do to earn it. And furthermore, we actually have demerit. We actually have offended God. Yet he still shows us grace. That's what real grace, that's what divine grace is. And he does so without violation to his justice because of the work of Christ on our behalf. This is what is expounded in Ephesians. This is the richest, some of the deepest understanding of salvation that we could gather. And it's there for us in Ephesians. Again, the Grand Canyon of the New Testament, of the Scriptures, in fact. It's not different anywhere else. The depths, though, are plumbed here in a way that we don't see in other portions of Scripture. In Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one could boast, not even a little bit. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Totally of God. Even the faith necessary to lay hold of Christ, all by God's grace. The Apostle John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, describes the coming of Christ and then uses a phrase or a term that I want to tie to this passage. Listen to what John wrote. And the Word became flesh, he's talking about Christ, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. He's talking now about John the Baptist. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So the Apostle John telling us about John the Baptist preaching about Christ. Then he says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Never ever cease to ask God for grace because he has more and more and more of it. Do you remember back in the illustration I gave you about the chili where you had a little bowl? But then someone comes with a shovel and a big cauldron of chili and puts it in your bowl. And your bowl's full. You can't take any more. And they put more on it and more on it. And it's pouring over your hands. And it's falling down the ground. And there's more of it. And he never runs out of it. That's grace upon grace. And this is the word spoken here. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus. And what we've seen of God's grace in Ephesians, we know he does not run out. He will never, so whatever you've done, that grace that God saved you with still saves you. No, but I've done this and now it, it still saves you. It's still that powerful. It's still that plentiful. It's still that amazing. Grace be with you. When Calvin closed his sermon, he said these words, and I will use them to summarize or sum up and bring to a conclusion this epistle. These are his last words of his last sermon on Ephesians. Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God with acknowledgement of our faults, praying him to vouchsafe to open our eyes more and more, that we may consider the infirmities and the vices that are in us, yes, and those also to which we would be given if God had not delivered us from them and did not draw us away from them day by day. And thereupon, let us mourn before him, 
acknowledging ourselves to be the wretched offenders who are well worthy to be condemned if he did not pity us. And let us profit from his word, that it may be for us an amendment of the things that are yet amiss in us. And for the bringing of this to pass, let us call upon the grace of his Holy Spirit, ask for more grace, because we know how needful it is for us because of the recklessness, yes, or rather the rebellion that is in us. And finally, he says, and yet for all that, let us not cease to keep on advancing toward the heavenly perfection to which he calls us, that it may please him to grant this grace to not only us, but also to all people and nations of the earth. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the richness of your word. We are particularly grateful this morning for the book of Ephesians. Thank you, O Lord, for what it reveals about who we are in Christ, the great security we have in Christ, the promises that are realized in Jesus. I thank you for the renewed community that you have created, your church, not just this local body, but local bodies the world over gathering now to worship you, to give you praise, to glorify Christ, our Savior. Father, continue to work in us these things that you have begun. I pray, O Lord, that you would give us peace. We have peace with you. Lord, may this peace be realized in our relationships and in our lives and in the circumstances of our lives. Lord, give us love, love for one another that comes from the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, that we would not stop, we would stop at nothing to serve one another. Lord, give us continued strength of faith, that we would be resting all the more dependently upon Jesus and his work. And finally, your grace. Lord, give us more of your grace. You're so gracious. Pour it out upon us. We need this grace. We need it. It is where we gain our strength, where we have perseverance. It's all because of your great grace to us. And may Christ be glorified, in whose name I pray. Amen. Now we will...